You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, Serve One Another, is part two in the series Community, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, thanks, Nick, and thanks to our band for uh, leading us today. It's been a good time of worship already. Uh, Listen, we have a responsibility as a a part of the body of Christ here in the United States of America and all over the world uh, to uh, uh, add to all of the others, all of the other prayers uh, from churches like ours in the world uh, to add our own. And so uh, knowing about the uh, chaotic situation in the U.S. House of Representatives, the crisis of leadership there. And then uh, even worse is uh, war in Israel. I just want to lead you in a time of prayer, uh, just a simple prayer as we uh, take this to the Lord. It's our privilege to do that, but also it's our responsibility. And so uh, would you just join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for a time to worship today. And even as we worship in peace We're aware that a war is raging in Israel. Many people have died. Many people have been injured. uh, The outcome is unknown. And as we hear the names of Bible locations as places where fighting is going on, uh, we're grieved by that. And so we pray for the people of Israel. Uh, We pray that you would work mightily to bring an end to this war. We pray you would comfort those who have lost family members. We pray that you would eradicate evil and protect your people. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would bring uh, some sense of uh, right and justice and and, uh, normalcy back to what's going on in Washington, D.C. here. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would bless our country and may we be all that we need to be in order to continue to be a safe haven for those who are, uh, who are seeking freedom, for those who want to be able to share the gospel freely. And uh, we pray you would help us as a church as we join in that effort. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being here today. I've met a lot of people from out of town today. I guess other people are on fall break and they're coming here. Uh, we have a large group right here from Coleman, Alabama. Would you guys lift your hand? And uh, thanks for being here. Church, First Baptist Church of Coleman. Uh, earlier this morning, I met some people from LA who were here, lower Alabama. Dothan, Alabama was here today already. And uh, but we're glad y'all are here. Everyone else, thank you uh, for joining in. Well, I want to ask you to find in your Bible the book of Galatians chapter 5, and then we're going to rest in Acts chapter 9. Galatians 5 and then Acts chapter 9. Last week, I started a new series of sermons for the month of October that I'm calling Community. And I'm not using that word in the way that we might use it to talk about everybody who lives in this location here in Sevier County or in Sevierville, but rather in a more biblical way and a spiritual way that, uh, that talks about uh, how we relate to each other and the way that we're supported in the family of God. 
to explain that, I began last Sunday by uh, talking about three facts about community in case you've slept since then or you didn't uh, retain that. Let me remind you about these facts about community. Number one, we talked about how the Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation, but rather in community. That, that God has invited us into this personal relationship with him, and yet he intends for us to live out our relationship with him in the fellowship of other believers in a local church. And it's there that we find this sense of community that nourishes us and, and, uh, and supports us and, uh, and helps us to thrive. And so the Lord saves us as individuals, of course, but he also saves us into a community of believers. I said last week that being a Christian is more than just believing in something, it's belonging to something, and that is the family of God. So we need that in our lives. We all need each other. We need other believers to draw us back when we're straying away. Uh, we need other believers to prop us up when we're weak and support us. We need other believers to partner with us as we uh, spread the gospel here and around the world. And so uh, uh, other uh, old, older believers need to be there for newer believers to show them the ropes. And, and we need one another to encourage uh, each other in the faith. And our template for how to do that is found in the New Testament, in the book of Acts in particular, as we see the church, the original church in Jerusalem, and then the other churches planted out of that one by the apostles. Uh, we find that they had, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, and other places, that they had an uncommon unity and a sense of sharing together and loving each other and working together that really showed the world around them a, a clear picture of the power of the gospel to take people from different backgrounds and different personalities and different experiences and bring them together as one. And they are, we are as a church, a powerful force when we come together in that sense of a Christian community. Uh, the second reminder is uh, something I said last week. It's really my definition of that word community, the way we're talking about it. Community is the Christ-centered grace-filled relationships that form that network of belonging and support that every Christian needs. We all need that. God never meant for us to do it alone. Uh, there is no sense you can get from the New Testament of being a solitary, do-it-yourself, all-alone Christian. That's foreign to the Bible. Uh, what, it, what it tells us, though, is that we're meant to live this thing out in community. That's where we're supported, and that's where, we, uh, that's where we belong. And if that's true, then listen, we ought to pursue that. We ought to guard that when we have it, and we ought to nourish that and build it up in our lives and in the lives of others. That brings me to the third reminder today, and that is that the building blocks of community are the one another's of the New Testament. 
And here's what I mean by that. If you look at all of the orders that we have, all the commands that we're given as Christians in the New Testament, uh, the one another commands dominate all the rest. Uh, you can't avoid it. There, uh, someone has counted there are 59 commands in the New Testament that are addressed to one another, things that we are supposed to do or in some cases not do to one another. And it's talking about other Christians that the Lord puts in your life. And that makes, if that's true and we're to do all these things to one another, that makes being in the fellowship of a local church necessary, not optional. Because if you're going to do all these things to one another, then you have to be around one another. And so this is not optional. On the other hand, if you ignore these one another commands, you're not going to have that sense of community, but instead you're going to find yourself being a lonely Christian and a struggling Christian who never really uh, fulfills the potential that you have in Christ. It's meant to be done in community. So this month, uh, we're using those building blocks and we're focusing on five of those one another commands that I think are most needed in our church today. Uh, last week, we, we started with love one another. We find that one uh, repeated over and over and over again in the Bible, to love one another. Uh, don't miss next week when we talk about bearing with one another. Don't miss that because people are crazy and we're all a little crazy and we do crazy things and we end up having to bear with one another uh, when, uh, when we're being crazy to each other. Uh, after that, we're going to talk about showing hospitality to one another. That's a command and it really is a lost art in the church today. Uh, hospitality. And then finally, exhort one another. That'll be the last Sunday of the month. But today, we're going to look at serve one another serve one another. We read that command in Galatians 5 and verse 13. Let me read just this one verse from Galatians. Galatians 5, 13. The apostle Paul, of course, writing to these Galatian Christians, and he says this, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, here it is, serve one another. He said, through love, serve one another. Now, the context here is, is helpful that Paul is uh, instructing these Galatian Christians in how to understand their liberty or their freedom in Christ. Uh, what he teaches here in this chapter is that we as Christians have been set free from having to work to fulfill the demands of the law because Jesus came and perfectly fulfilled all of those demands on our behalf. And so that means that you and I as Christians, we are free from the burden of striving and working and trying to be good enough. And now we live under grace because Jesus paid it all and Jesus has done it all. Now we live in liberty and freedom under his grace. We no longer, here's what it means, Paul says, we no longer have to focus on ourselves, but now we are free in Christ to focus on others. And of course, Jesus is the perfect example of this. 
Uh, Jesus had more liberty, more freedom to do what he wanted than anybody ever because Jesus is God. And yet, what do we see Jesus doing? Jesus laid aside his rights to serve himself and he used his liberty to serve others. Uh, instead of insisting on being rich and famous and living in a palace, instead of, instead of demanding to be served and bowed down to all the time, what did Jesus do? Jesus humbled himself and he became a servant. Jesus, we see him doing it over and over again. Jesus met the needs of the sick and the hungry and the outcast and the sinners and ultimately Jesus laid down his life in service to humanity to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. It's amazing. Uh, so uh, we, Paul is saying, we're called to follow the example of Jesus to respond to what he has done for us by serving one another. So he says, in love, uh, listen, don't, don't use your freedom in Christ to indulge your flesh and to be selfish. Instead, in love, you ought to serve one another. That is the example of Jesus. So what does exactly that mean, to serve one another? What does it mean? Well, Christian service is this. It's, it's the willingness to humble yourself and to act for the benefit of another in the name of Jesus. Christian service is the willingness to humble yourself and to act for the benefit of somebody else in the name of Jesus. Christian service is uh, something that starts on the inside and then it's expressed on the outside. I'll say it like this. Christian service is an attitude that's followed by an action to improve the condition of another person by providing something that they are missing. That's what it means to serve one another. Uh, it's an attitude followed by an action to improve the condition of another by providing something they are missing. Now, here's what that looks like in real life. It could be something material that you see that somebody is missing, like a yard that's not being mowed or a ride to church that they don't have. And when you step up and take care of their yard and go pick them up so they can be in church, here's what you're doing. You're providing something that's missing in the name of Jesus and you're humbling yourself to put their need ahead of your own, to give of your time to improve their condition in some way and that is serving one another. It could be uh, something financial that's missing in somebody else's life. And so uh, you would meet that need or make up for what's lacking by helping them to pay a bill. It could be something emotional that's missing, like some comfort that they need or support that they need. And it could be something spiritual that's missing uh, like some discipleship that's needed or some teaching or some wise counsel that you could, you could fill in what's missing in their life to improve their spiritual condition. And so here's the thing. When you provide what's missing in somebody else's life and, this is important, you do it with an unsatisfying, 
unselfish attitude that expects nothing in return, no thanks, no payment, but you're just doing it because you love the Lord. And if you do that in response to all that Jesus has done for you, then you are truly serving that person. And this is what we're called and commanded to do, serve one another. That's what it looks like. Now, the Apostle Paul, of course, wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the the Christians at Galatia. But long before Paul wrote those words, serve one another, Paul, at the beginning of his walk with the Lord, Paul was on the receiving end of Christian service from other people. And from his origin story, I want you to help me or or learn along with me uh, three ways that you can serve one another. This is something everyone could do. You may say, Pastor, uh, I'm not particularly talented. I don't know that I have anything to really contribute to the body of Christ. I'm not anything special. What can I do? Well, here are three ways that you can serve one another and Everybody can do this. Everybody can do it. So uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Paul's origin story was not like any of the other apostles. Uh, Paul had been a persecutor of Christians. Paul, in fact, wanted to rid the world of the name of Jesus and all of the people that believed in him. And so Paul arrested Christians. He put them into prison. He even had many of them killed. And back when he was known as Saul, he was on the way to do that, uh, going to the city of Damascus. He was on the Damascus road on the way to persecute Christians, and suddenly, in, in, a, in a, a brilliant light that literally was a blinding light to Paul, it left him blind, Jesus himself suddenly appears to the apostle Paul, and he convicted Paul of his sin, he, he called Paul to salvation, he commissioned Paul Uh, to service as an apostle to spread the gospel around the world and so in that moment by the grace of God Paul finds himself doing this complete reversal of his life from being a persecutor of Christians the greatest enemy of the church to being a, a missionary and an evangelist for the church and so Paul surrendered to Jesus as Lord on that road and uh, and he got up he was led into the city of Damascus where he waited for three days without eating or drinking anything. He waited for what to do next. And uh, we pick up here in Acts 9, verse 10. Verse 10. The Bible says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias. What a coincidence. Coming in, putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias pushed back a little. He answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has come Uh, how how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. 
But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name to to Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Uh, So here's what we learn from this man, Ananias, and how he served Paul. Uh, It's the first way that you can serve one another. Like Ananias, you can be present in a time of crisis. You can be present for somebody in a time of crisis. Here's what happened. For three days, Paul just fasted and prayed, and God sent to him this man, Ananias. And you can understand how Ananias had a hard time wrapping his mind around this, uh, but he was a man of faith, and he was obedient to go and do what God told him to do. Uh, Ananias went, and, and he, he reached out to Paul. He reached out his hand to touch him. He, he reached out with his friendship. He reached out with his heart to love him. And, and I, I'm impressed with the faith it must have taken Ananias to call him Brother Saul. Brother, that's a strong family word of connection and commitment. And, and Ananias, when he arrived, he found Paul waiting on somebody to show up and to reach out to him. I wonder... Who is it that's waiting for you to just show up in the name of Jesus? Uh, Some people are on their own Damascus road. They're in a crisis. Something has knocked them off their feet. And God has their attention, but they don't know what to do next. And, And what they need is for somebody to just show up. And and to just be present with them, to speak the name of Jesus to them, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to them. And and here's the thing. When when you know there's somebody in crisis and you just do what Ananias did, you you may not know exactly what to say or, or what you're there for, but when you just show up, uh, God can greatly use you to help that person in a time of crisis. Uh, Some people around us are like Paul on Straight Street. Uh, They're sitting there. They need somebody to just be present, to just pray over them. And you can do that. You can show up and serve them like Ananias. And so I'm, I'm just holding that out as an example. Look, you may say, I don't have any skills or talents. What can I do? Here's what you can do. You can keep your eyes open for somebody who's just having a hard time, and you can just show up. And you can just be the presence of somebody from the body of Christ in that person's life. Sometimes that's all it takes to get somebody to the next level. 
So like Ananias, uh, you can just be present in a time of crisis. But uh, uh, let's go to another example. Fast forward three years and God has brought someone else into Paul's life to serve him. Uh, now, when you're reading Acts chapter 9, you have to understand that between, if you put all of the information we have together, between verse 25 and 26, there's a three-year period where God took Paul to the backside of the Arabian desert, and there Jesus taught him personally and met with him and ministered to him. And uh, nobody really knew what was going on with Paul at that time. And so uh, three years have passed, and he comes to Jerusalem to try to join in the work of the church there. And so we read in uh, chapter 9, verse 26, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, in the original language, it literally says that Paul kept trying, and he kept trying to join with the disciples there, to get into their fellowship, but the church in Jerusalem wouldn't let him be a part. They were afraid of him. And who can blame them for being suspicious? Paul had mysteriously disappeared for three years. Nobody knew what was going on. And then he comes back to Jerusalem, and they must have thought, is he coming back as a spy? Is he a mole? Was he going to be friendly to the other apostles so he could get close enough to assassinate them? They didn't know what was going on. I don't know why I made a finger gun right there. They didn't have guns, but was, was Paul coming to assassinate them and infiltrate the church so he could wreck it from the inside? And so they were, they were hesitant. Whatever their reason, they weren't letting Paul in. And so along comes a man by the name of Barnabas. We find out earlier in the book of Acts that Barnabas got the nickname Barnabas because it means the son of encouragement. He was an encourager. Uh, so uh, look at verse 27. It says, but Barnabas took him. And literally that means he grabbed Paul by the hand and led him. Uh, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. So he had, he had become a part and they received him. Uh, so here's the example for us to love one another. Like Barnabas, you can be a friend and a connector. That's one way to serve one another. You can be a friend and a connector. Uh, Barnabas, here's what he did. Well, he looked Paul up. He heard him out. He was convinced that Paul was a true believer and an apostle. And he, he took him by the hand and he took Paul under his wing. And, and he led Paul among the apostles. And it must have been difficult for those guys like, like Peter and James and John. Paul had arrested and, and, uh, and killed some of their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a lot to get over. But Barnabas led the way for Paul in, in forgiveness and acceptance and trust. And I have to tell you, I admire that because sometimes in the church, 
We have a good theology about salvation and forgiveness, but then we want to be selective about who we forgive and who we love and who we accept into our circle of friends in the church. We need to be more like Barnabas. Barnabas led the way as a friend and a connector. It took a friend like Barnabas to make it happen. Uh, they didn't call him the son of encouragement for nothing. Barnabas was, was uh, an encourager. He was a bridge builder. He was a connector. And he helped Paul uh, link up with the apostles so that he could pursue the calling that Jesus put on his life to go around the world sharing the gospel. Uh, it, 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 it all got started because Barnabas was a friend and a connector. And so let me say it again. You may think that God can't use you to do anything important for his kingdom. But I'm telling you this. You can be like Barnabas. Everybody can do that. Find somebody who's new and having trouble getting connected to a group of friends here. Uh, find somebody who needs encouragement in their faith. And just be their Christian friend. You can do that. If you can humble yourself and make space in your life to include somebody to be their friend, God can use you to make a difference in somebody's life when you serve them like that. It could be that when somebody says, what's your ministry? You could say, my ministry is making friends for Jesus. That's my ministry. I help people get connected into the family of God, the church. Sometimes it's tough to break in. And I want to be there to be an open door and to be a connector, right? So you can be like Ananias and just be present in somebody's life to help them. You can be like Barnabas to serve others by being a friend and a connector. Uh, and let me give you one more example because it's right here in this chapter and it's so, so good. Uh, down in verse 36, we read about a woman who's identified as a disciple. Uh, this is the only time in the New Testament that the female version of the word for disciple is used. And, and in the original language, it pops off the page as something that we ought to really pay attention to. And I think it's because of her example of how she served one another. It says, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman is full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her or prepared her for her funeral, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Woo! And it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed on the Lord. Here's the example we find in this woman, Tabitha. And that is like Tabitha, you can be need aware and practical 
in the way that you serve one another. You can be need aware and practical. So I I love this. Tabitha had a ministry to a particularly needy and vulnerable part of the early church, and that was the widows. Uh, Verse 36 says that with them, she was full of good works, full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Evidently, part of her ministry was making clothes for these widows. Uh, When Peter arrived, these women were so sad, they were showing him the clothes they were wearing that were made by Tabitha's hands. And that's a very simple thing, isn't it? This wasn't a big complicated ministry with a budget and a board of directors. This is just a woman who loved Jesus and could work a needle and thread. And and she demonstrated her love by the clothes that she made. And the Bible doesn't give us details about how it happened, but it's not too difficult to imagine uh, that Tabitha is at worship with her church and And she notices in the back of the room, uh, one of these widow ladies walks in and she's embarrassed by her clothes. Uh, They're threadbare. And and because Tabitha was need aware, that is, her eyes were open looking for how can I serve somebody in a practical way. She saw that need and she thought to herself, hey, I have the skill to meet this need for this lady, and I can do it in the name of Jesus. And, and she just allowed the Lord to use what she could do to be a blessing to somebody. And uh, I, I know that Tabitha's simple ministry of making clothes was powerfully important to that church in Joppa. You know how I know that it was important to that church in Joppa? Because Jesus sent her back from heaven to keep doing it. One moment she was in heaven, the next moment she opened her eyes and saw Peter's hairy face. Why? Jesus said, go back to earth and keep sowing, girl. Keep serving in my name. And so she she goes back and continues to do it. Listen, if you're a Christian, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 and other places, you are gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve the Lord's church in some way. And no one Christian can do everything, but every Christian can do one thing. Every Christian can serve in some way. And you just have to be, listen, you just have to be willing to humble yourself, to see the needs around you, and to be willing, if you can do nothing else, to just show up. God can do a lot when we just show up in somebody's life and be a person who can just pray for someone and be a friend and help somebody get connected, help somebody begin to grow and be practical about it. If we're willing to humble ourselves and see those needs and just do it in the name of Jesus, God can greatly use you for his glory and for his kingdom. Let's stand together and I want us to have a time of prayer this morning and commitment. And I believe there's a way we need to respond to this today. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you 
for these examples in Scripture of how we can serve one another by showing up and being a friend and, and doing practical things. And Lord, I, I pray that for every person in this room, that as we open our eyes to see needs around us, that you would lead us to serve one another. And Lord, I pray as we do that, there would be no need in this church that is not met. And we believe, Lord, our community needs to see this. The people outside this church, they need to see, Lord, there's something special about how in Christ, you've taken all of us from different backgrounds and personalities and styles and preferences, and you've made us one to the point that we just automatically serve one another. And I pray, Lord, the result is going to be in every individual life that we're going to find ourselves surrounded by this sense of, of support and belonging that we call community. I thank you also, Lord, for the example of the Lord Jesus who laid down his life for us on the cross so that we could be saved. And Lord, we know that there may be someone here in this room, someone watching or listening later, who is lost in their sin. They're outside your family of faith and they need salvation today. I pray, Lord, whoever that is, that right now they would place their faith in Jesus. Lord, that they would forsake their sin and turn to Jesus in faith. And like Paul did on the Damascus Road, surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that's you I'm speaking to, our pastors are standing here in the front. They, they would love to pray with you about that, to help you to understand more, to uh, really comprehend the gospel. And to know how to take that step of faith, I, I want to encourage you, even while the rest of us are praying, to just step out from wherever you are and come to one of these men and say, that's what I need, and let them help you. And Heavenly Father, I pray that in this church family, Lord, we would be a bunch of Ananiases and, and Barnabases and Tabithas just serving one another and that you would be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.